Our scripture reading today comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he, he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cooning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. (laughs) Sorry, Ian. I'm sorry. Forgive me. It wasn't too long ago that uh, the family and I went to Knott's Berry Farm, which is like worlds of fun, but in Los Angeles. Maybe you've done that before. But uh, anyway, we went there, and the kids were a little younger, and so they wanted to do some of the the smaller rides, and they did that with uh, Grammy and Pop, as they call their grandparents. But Rebecca and I and my sister were also there, and we wanted to do some big rides while we were there. Uh, So I hadn't done one of these in years, and I thought, hey, this is going to be really fun. And and sure enough, it was. It was fun. We did like three or four rides with the loops and the twists and the drops, and I didn't throw up or anything, which was great. But the next morning, I woke up, and I felt like I had just lost a boxing match. And it was crazy because as as a kid, I used to do this, I don't know, once a month over the summer. And now I did one time, one day like that, and I was down for the count. Now that was, I don't know, five years ago. I can't imagine what this would do to me now. (laughs) I think uh, I'd have to go on sabbatical if I did that. At this point, and maybe you understand this, I know that I'm approaching the doing normal things can cause you pain stage in the aging process, like uh, throwing out your back, lifting up a basket of laundry kind of stuff. The point is our bodies really matter. We feel it. 
When we're young, which I know is a relative term, but when we're younger, when we, we can generally do what we want and we can eat what we want. We can take our bodies for granted that way and there aren't many consequences there. But age and health remind us over and over again what a precious gift our bodies are and how important it is that they work properly for everything else that we do. And anyone here who has suffered from chronic illness or extended sickness, you understand that our bodies, more than perhaps we care to admit until there's a problem, they affect who we are and what we can and cannot do in the world. They matter profoundly. And it's not just our physical bodies that matter. There's a reason we've been given this word picture in the text we just read of the spiritual body, the body of Jesus. Just read that in Ephesians. Paul tells us that when we put our faith in him and we gather together as a local church, we are the body of Christ. It's a reality that's a little crazy to think about, but it's true. And Jesus is our head, and all the rest of us make up his body. And collectively, we represent him to the world. And this body, just like our physical bodies, needs certain things from us to thrive. Because when people see us, they see Jesus for good or for ill. That is who they see. We should be able to say, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, really looks like, you should look at us. And you know, one of the reasons people have deconstructed their faith, right? We're in a series about reconstructing faith. One of the common reasons I hear from people leaving the faith altogether is that they've encountered Christians who do not look like Jesus, they might, we might look more like a social club or a political agenda or just like the rest of the world in terms of our values, our behaviors, and our attitudes. But what we're supposed to be is Jesus' body. And the body of Jesus must look like Jesus. This is Paul's point here. Now, what would it look like? What would it mean for this body today, right here? to look like his body. This is where Paul goes in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there now. The letter of Ephesians, use your table of contents if you have to. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is a really important part of the letter to the Ephesian churches. So many students of this book, people who have studied this book a long time, uh, will note that in the first three chapters, which we've, we've finished in our series, Paul lays out what we would grammatically call the indicatives of the church. That is, statements about the church that are already true. They are descriptions of the church. Things like, we are beloved by God, redeemed in Jesus, victorious in Jesus. We're a new humanity now in Christ. These these are things that are already true. And then in the last three chapters, that's four to six, Paul shifts from the indicatives to the imperatives of the church. What are we supposed to do in light of who we already are? And this passage, this is the first part of chapter 4, is like the hinge. It's the first time Paul begins to tell us how we are to live in the world. What does it mean to be Jesus' body in the world? And there are at least three things that Paul points out to us here in these verses that set the stage, honestly, for all the other imperatives that are about to come. The body of Jesus must look like Jesus in these three specific ways, at least these three ways. The first we see here is that we aren't the body of Jesus without oneness. 
okay? Oneness. Now, that makes intuitive sense. When you think of the human body, it has to be united, right? That doesn't make sense otherwise. I think that's why Paul loves this metaphor so much. He uses it elsewhere in uh, the New Testament, in like 1 Corinthians, because it so quickly shows us how ridiculous it would be to not be unified together. Paul in 1 Corinthians can, can, can play out this joke and say, can you guys imagine if your foot told your eyes, I don't need you, right? That's just funny even to think about. It's ridiculous. And sometimes it's not so funny, right? Imagine walking through the woods and stumbling upon a, 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 a bunch of body parts separate in the woods. That's pretty creepy, right? You don't want to do that. Not only is that creepy, it's worthless. It's, it's not alive, this is Paul's point. If Jesus' body is, isn't one, if it is not knit together, like our own bodies are when healthy, we have no hope of representing Jesus in any meaningful kind of way to anybody watching us. You see this starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now listen to this. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if you weren't counting, Paul says one seven times in this passage. And he's reminding us that we are one, not simply, not because of anything we've done, but because we were already, we've been called by God to make up this body as one. It's another indicative. It's something that's already true, but Paul is encouraging us now to practice and live into. And when we do not do that, things get really ugly really, really fast. Not to bring up COVID again, because it's so much fun, I know. But there's a reason so many people, and I'm just telling you from my experience, there's a reason many people walked away from their faith after watching churches divide for two years over things like masks and politics and indoor and outdoor services. Remember those good old days when that's all we talked about, right? Oneness is critical to our witness in the world. And we learned the hard way that it can be one of the first things to go when things get difficult. It is vulnerable if we're not careful. But we have to be one. Otherwise, the world will look at us and see a bunch of disconnected body parts and, that's, and be revolted by it. Right? That's not a body. That's a slasher movie. That's not what we want to look like. Paul knew this was difficult. He did. This oneness thing which is why he lists these qualities that have to be true of our community if we're ever going to be one. In verse 2, he says we must be humble and gentle and patient with one another. Okay, humble in the sense that we live with the full knowledge that we are not perfect as individuals, that we don't see everything clearly all the time, and that in any given conflict or disagreement, we know we are just as likely to be wrong as the next person. We're certain of certain things, but not always of our opinion, right? We're humble. 
We're gentle in the sense that we listen carefully to those around us and we do not feel the need to always get our way. And we're patient in the sense of a long-sufferingness. That's actually the Greek idea behind this word patience, long-suffering. That we don't give up on each other easily. That we don't sacrifice our oneness at the drop of a hat or one decision that we disagree with or one conflict with another member of the body. We stick together patiently. And sometimes, even as Paul acknowledges here, that, that, that work of being humble and gentle and patient will feel like bearing with one another in love. That's the, that's the phrase he uses. There are times when it may truly feel like we are just putting up with one another. Like a brother and a sister, right, who are just kind of, they're in that stage where it's like, well, just, I'm going to love you, but I'm, I feel like I'm just putting up with you right now. Sometimes it feels that way. Fighting for the sake of love, of commitment, even when things get really, really difficult. Now, I am not saying, and I don't think Paul is saying either, that there aren't reasons to leave a local church community or a small group or even a friendship within the body. But I do think he is saying that outside of some kind of major theological disagreement, that these should be rare occurrences and only done after serious consideration and prayer and conversation and effort. And even in that case, we still, we strive in love to root for those churches and those people and we strive for their good and we leave them humbly and gently and patiently. Now, I know this, this kind of idea of oneness is not super complicated, but I know it can be very difficult. It can be very difficult. And it's, you know, it's easy to point at COVID and say, yeah, I remember that, that was hard. But what, I mean, I understand that, that there, are, there are moments of deep church hurt where churches have let us down, where pastors have let us down, with other Christians have let us down. That is real. Or someone said awful things to you. Or even people who have just failed our expectations when we felt like we needed them the most. That happens too. I... I, I I have seen any and all of that in, from my seat on the bus in the local church. It's messy. It's not easy. But even in our hurt, Jesus' love can still unite us. Even if we need space away from each other, which again should be rare, but that does happen. Jesus still loves his body. He loves all of us. And there may even be moments where we have to look at each other and say, right now, perhaps the only thing that unites us is Jesus' love for us, but that's enough. Fighting with him for this oneness is critical to our witness. It always has been. Okay, second thing. We aren't the body without teamwork. Now, Paul does not use the word teamwork, but I can't think of a better way to describe what he's, what he's doing here. Paul, Paul reminds us, that we are after oneness, this idea of unity, oneness, but that doesn't mean we're after sameness. I, I love how Eugene Peterson uh, uh, put this in the message translation. It's just his translation of these verses and uh, verses four to six. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us has given his own gift. So just like a human body, there is a unity in the body on, on purpose and mutuality, 
but different parts serve different functions on the team, as it were. And Paul hints at that with the language of gifts. There are lots and lots of gifts in the body for the purpose of serving the whole. And it's a little confusing kind of how Paul describes this, but he he talks about Jesus is the one who conquered the grave. He went to the lower parts of the earth. He conquered the grave. And then he ascended to heaven in victory, which he spent the last few chapters describing. And now, like a victor, he's handing out the spoils of war to his people. That's verses 8 to 10. He's giving gifts down to his church, his people. He's taking care of his body. He's taking care of the team. And then Paul lists a few roles on that team. This is verse 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, that's nowhere near an exhaustive list of of everybody's part to play in the church. It's not meant to be. Paul's point is that we are, there are different parts and we all have different responsibilities for the sake of the whole. Some can lead in music, some lead tech, some serve kids, some make coffee, some are good at discernment, some are good at leading new endeavors. And these gifts, by the way, are not simply things we do here in the building or things we even do just in the context of our Christian community. These are gifts that we bring with us wherever we go, whatever your Monday looks like, whatever your weekday looks like, those gifts are expressed there too. But the point here is that no body part is useless and everybody has a part to play, which is important for us to remember because we can slip into different metaphors in our mind when it comes to this teamwork that we're called to. Sometimes we approach church like golf, the ultimate non-team sport. It's just me and Jesus, and that's all that matters. We may have a friend or two who's playing alongside of us, but we are not a team. That is not oneness or teamwork. Others, sometimes we can treat this, this teamwork thing like a spectator sport. We can be in the stands, we're watching, but we're not really part of the team. We may, have, we may yell out an opinion or two occasionally from the stands, but we're not, right, we're not getting our hands dirty. Paul will elsewhere in his writings talk about the temptation to want certain kinds of roles over others, certain kinds of gifts over others, some more desirable than others. But again, Paul says there are no parts that don't matter for the sake of everybody else. They're all needed. We all need each other. Jesus does not have important and unimportant people in his family. He does not. Everyone is important. Everyone has a part to play. And none of us are on the sidelines. This is another indicative. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are on the field of play. Whether we're taking it seriously or not is another question. But to be in his family is to be on the team, period. And we will never be what we could be or what we must be without one another. It doesn't work. Like a body doesn't work. Which leads to Paul's last imperative here. He says we aren't the body without growing up together. To grow up together. 
As we fight for oneness and we work together as a team with mutual care, we grow up. Like any other body, the point of the body is to grow. A child becomes an adult. Immature becomes mature. Ignorant becomes wise. Our church family is supposed to grow up together. Here's how Paul puts it, starting back at verse 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood is what the ESV has, but the idea here is adulthood, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Over and over and over again, Paul reminds us we are to grow up. Now, I don't know if you had this when you were growing up, or maybe for our young people in the room, maybe you have this now, but did any of you guys have in either your house growing up or maybe at a grandparent's house, that one wall or that one door jam where you measured how tall you were getting. And it was like, no matter how many times you repainted that house, it was like that one nasty wall no one could touch because that's where you measured. Like here's Timmy at six and here's Tammy at nine. See, I had one of these growing up. It was at my G-Ma's house. And not only did she measure me and my sister and my cousins on it, she had kept all of her children and all their markings too. So I could actually measure myself against my dad. And I will never forget the sweet, sweet victory of passing my older sister on that wall. Never to look back. To this day, still taller than she is. I'm really proud of that. Paul is saying we should be growing on that wall. He says the church should be growing we should see growth in, in and among one another. Not perfection, but growth. And we are always measured against. This is a high calling, as Paul puts this. He, we are measured against the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, to be more and more and more like him together. Which is a reminder to us in so many ways that all of this stuff that we do when we worship together, when we serve together, when we bear with one another, when we make coffee, when we mentor students, when we serve children, when we run slides, thank you, Lisanne. When we run sound, thank you, Ian. When we run video, thank you to our volunteers who are doing that. When we go to community group, when we pray together, when we put on a name tag, when we greet one another at the doors, everything we're doing, when we represent Jesus in our weekday lives, it's to grow up, to grow up more and more. That's the whole point. So I want to get really practical with, uh, together. Here are two questions I have for us this week just to think about and ponder, to do some self-evaluation. Okay, first, are you growing up? 
And I put the emphasis here on you, the individual. Are you growing up? Is, is our growth in grace a priority to us or not? We talk a lot around here at Christ Community about not trying harder to be like Jesus, but training better with him. Are we training with him every day? There's, there's a lot that that can look like, but I, just a couple, I know, are we studying the Bible? Are we, are we reading it? Not just randomly or for some kind of emotional connection, but are we studying the Bible through and through? Do we know more about the Bible this year than we did last year? And remember with me, Jesus knew his Bible and he didn't just know it by osmosis. He studied. He worked. We will need to do the same. We know that the scriptures are an incredible catalyst for growth. Knowing them and loving them. So if you, if you need help in this area, get a study Bible. There's lots of great resources available. The ESV has a good one. The NIV has a good one. Those are just different translations. These are full of articles that, that, that give you a snapshot of how to read this book or some key issues in this book. And listen, I know we're all wired differently, but hear me say, even if it's boring, even if you're like trying to read the Bible in a year and you're reading Leviticus and you're like, how am I going to get through this? I have no emotional connection to this book at all. That's okay. You are, you're still putting rings on the tree. You're still growing in your understanding. It can help you grow that way. Are we studying God's word? Are we praying? This is another critical discipline. Are we asking for God's help? And we need look no further than the letter to the Ephesians. I mean, how many times does Paul pray in this letter? And the idea here is that Paul, and I, I, the idea here is that Paul, in the middle of, of, of describing to these churches their calling to grow, in the middle of doing that, Paul has to stop, and it's like he gets on his knees. And he just starts asking for God's help. He says, God, we cannot do this without you. Are we praying daily, asking for God's help? And we have tools like the formed life, which Christ community, that's something we've developed and published alongside of our sermon series to help us to read and to know God's word, to help us to pray and reflect every day. And even give us exposure and guidance around other spiritual disciplines that have shaped the body for centuries. Things like fasting or celebration or simplicity. But we we have to, here's the big idea. We have to take ownership of our growth as individuals with God's help. The whole body is counting on us to grow. What is one thing you can start doing this week to help you grow up in Jesus. Okay, second question. Are you investing in the body? So are you growing up as an individual, and then are you investing in the body? Now, many of you, I know, many of you are invested here. You serve the body. You give to this church. You love this family. You've sacrificed for her. But even the best of us, my, and, and, and I'm, I'm right, I'm a pastor, right? I'm, as, as I see your pastor, Mark Askins, I, I'm paid to be good. He loves to say that, I'm paid to be good, okay? But even I can fall into this temptation to forget that we are a body called to oneness and mutual service, and instead to approach Christian community like something that's only about me and what I want. 
And that's really hard, right? Because almost every other place we go as modern Western consumers is designed to give you what you want and when you want it, right? The customer's always right. But that is not the design of the local church. We are are designed totally differently than that. And the danger is that when we we approach the, the, the body like a consumer, then we only want to serve or attend or invest when we feel like it. And that may, that may never happen, or it may happen only very rarely. And we certainly don't do these things when they feel inconvenient to us. But again, that's not how a body works. The heart can't say, you know what, I feel like, taking, I, I, feel like I need a break right now. I'm going to stop beating. It doesn't work. That's disastrous, actually. And at a church this big, it can be really easy to simply attend for an hour on Sunday and to not invest anywhere else, to not know anyone's name, to not introduce ourselves to someone that we don't know, to not push ourselves out of our comfort zone, to serve in an area of need, to not want to take that class or join that group because I'm, I'm, I'm too busy, I've got too much going on. And again, I get it. Those struggles are real. But we won't grow together if we aren't investing in one another, if we're not prioritizing that. And here's, I think, a really good diagnostic question for us. What is one thing you can do for your church that is actually for someone else and not for you? Like, the whole reason you do it is this is for someone else. It's not for me. Maybe that's serving on a team on Sunday morning. Maybe it's taking a class next semester. Because you know, even in your growth there, you're going to help others grow alongside of you, even though it's a commitment. Maybe it's stepping up and providing a meal for the Hope Center or serving with Rehope or mentoring at Crystal Ray. And listen, if our staff here can help you get engaged or involved in any of these ways, reach, reach out to us. That's an important, that's a role that we can play. You have our email addresses. If you don't, that's what the website's for. There's little pictures, little pretty pictures of us. You just click it, and our email's there. Come on, guys. That was kind of funny. You've got to give me that. <laughs> I should have shown one. I'll do that next time. We'd love to help you to help us grow together. And maybe it's simpler even than that. And it can start by saying, as simple as this, I'm going to go to church every Sunday this month, even when I don't feel like it, even if I feel tired. Or I'm going to prioritize my community group, even if it means I miss out on something else that I might want to do, like watch Chiefs game. I'm going to go and commit to these group of people. We we can't grow up alone. We can only become the fullness of Christ together with God's help. It's not always easy. It's not always pretty, if we're honest with ourselves. But growing, we are, by God's power and promise, Growing up into something glorious, something eternal, something more and more like Jesus. Jesus, who, by the way, was so committed to us, was so invested in our growth and our maturity and our oneness together, that before he created this body, he took his physical body to the cross. And whenever we feel discouraged or let down or hurt by one another, or frankly, whenever we just feel unworthy of one another, Jesus reminds us 
in this practice we call communion, he says, take this bread and take this cup and remember, this is my body broken for this body. And this is my blood shed for this family. When we, when we celebrate communion together, we, we remember with me, we come together under one Lord, one faith, to one table as one body, not because any one of us is anything special, but because together, Jesus says, you are the hope of the world. You are my hands and feet. Whenever you're ready to practice this together as one, there are stations all around the room. The two here in the, in the back are gluten-free for those who need it. If you are here and you are still considering Jesus, you're not sure if you're part of his body, you're part of his family yet. We're so glad that you're here. But I want to encourage you to just stay where you are. That is fine. And perhaps pray to God to reveal himself to you. This table, uh, you honor us by reserving this table for the family of Jesus. If you're in his family, if you put your faith in him, I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And after that, whenever you're ready, come and receive mercy again. If you would, bow your heads, let's pray. Jesus, we ask you once again to show us your mercy at this table. Remind us of your grace. And for many of us, even now, we, we confess to you that we have not always walked in a manner worthy of our calling. Even this week, Jesus, we can all call to mind a moment where we, we stumbled in that walk. We confess these things to you. We give them over to you. And we receive again this beautiful picture of your grace and your power in our lives that overcomes our sin. It overcomes our selfishness. It reminds us and empowers us to patience and gentleness and kindness in all that we say and do. Speak to us again, Jesus. Speak to us again in this moment, we pray. Amen. When you're ready, please come.